We're certainly glad to be here to meet in Idabel. Never been here before. Been a lot of places in the last couple of years I've never been before. And uh, so far they've all been good to me. I appreciate Brother Snow and his family. Uh, haven't known them very long, but uh, the, the effects of their ministries throughout their family has, has already touched my life. I would like to take this time for just a minute, not to get out of order, but to say how much I appreciate Brother brother Melvin Duke and his church. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately about our revival there in Bristol, and I mean, that's the kind of revival you, you long for, Brother Ricky, it really is. I mean, you, you're always looking to see God move like that. We went, uh, I think, 32 nights, and... About 68 sinners prayed in that revival. Looked like some of them are sticking to the church real well, Lord willing. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people have called me. You, you, you hold a revival like that, Brother Savage, and you start getting some phone calls. And, uh, you know, they want to know about it and, and coming by and different things. And, and, and I learned real fast to ask some questions. <clears throat> Brother Connor. Uh, they they asked me about holding a revival, and I said, how long has y'all's church been praying? Excuse me? How long y'all been fasting for this revival? <laughs> and phone calls start coming fewer and farther between. Brother Duke, I didn't, I didn't do that. You didn't do that. But I tell you, through the encouragement of Brother Duke and, and Brother Joseph and the elders there, and through the, the fire and the passion behind the the members of that church, especially the, the, that teenager group right in there, those young people. Uh, you know, somebody asked me how, how you do it, and, and I said, well, I'll tell you how they did it. They, they prayed. They begged God. They missed meals. They was out knocking on doors, passing out tracts. We were preaching on the streets. We were putting up flyers. We were, we, were, we were begging people to come to church. We were going into their homes and, and praying for them to get saved there so that they would want to come to church. That's, a, that's how you have revival. Somebody told me, well, we got all these fancy buildings and they know what time service is. Why don't they come in? Well, you got all those other hours besides Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why don't you go get them? Praise God. Hallelujah. I, I appreciate the Bristol Church. I really do. They made me look good last month. <laughs> Praise God. One brother called me clear out in Virginia. You want to know if I'd come hold him a revival? You want to know if we could have one just like that? And I said, yeah, we can. You call Brother Melvin Duke and ask him if his church will come with me. I believe we could do it again. Praise God. Hallelujah. I appreciate them. I'm glad for, for Brother Snow. Glad for the meeting here. I don't know. Well, I know hardly any of you. But I'm glad for you. I'm, I've heard a lot of your names. I've heard your... Your messages on tape. I've heard about your churches. I just ain't never been around y'all. We're from Idaho, and uh, we've only been full time in the ministry for a little over a year. And uh, a, a wise, wise elder that instructed me a lot when I was a young man told me about camp meeting. He said, uh, "Try your best not to get up there." He said, "Brother Martin, but if you get up there, don't get in a hurry." So, Lord, help me right here. I know some of y'all have heard this before. When you, when you preach 32 nights in one place, you use everything you got, Brother Savage. And it takes a while to get filled up again. So some of y'all have heard this before, and I know I've been corrected by some of those really, really spiritual preachers. 
that tell me that, uh, you know, you don't preach the same message twice. I guess I'm not that spiritual. <clears throat> One of them corrected me real good last year at a fellowship meeting. He said, uh, God doesn't have the same message for every church. I said, I agree with you, sir. I said, but if God gave you a message for the church, what makes this church better than that church? Hello. Hello. Praise God. Praise God. With all that on your heart and mind and stewing a little while, turn to Psalm 99 and 1. Hallelujah. God to help us right here. I might need one of these boys to run and get me a little bit of water before it's over. Help us right here, church. We know we ain't nobody. We know we ain't nothing. But I, I, I promised four friends of mine, and if I called their names, there probably wouldn't be here. Anybody in the building didn't know who they were, but I promised them that if I got in a fellowship meeting with this many people, I'd always pray over this message first. And if the Lord gave me leave, I'd find something else, but He did not give me leave. <clears throat> so here we go again. Psalm 99.1, the Bible said, The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Let them praise Thy God, Thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The Bible here is, is really trying to remind us how awesome God is. It talks about how great He is. It talks about how high He is. It talks about the praise that He deserves, how terrible He is. You know, we was preaching on the streets in downtown Tulsa here a few months ago, and, and you know how they do, the, the charismatics, they want, you, they want to tell you, God is love, God is love. And we don't want to disagree with what the Bible says, God is love. And I, Brother Martin, I always agree with them when they say God is love. I say, you're right, but the same book said he's terrible. The same book says that, 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 he, he, uh, that he's awesome. The same book talks about how powerful he is. It talks about how jealous he is. That's the same God. You can't separate that. <clears throat> I want to preach just a little while on too familiar, beyond too familiar, and trop and Kohler. And I know you don't know what trop and Kohler means, but we'll get there here in just a little while. First, we'd like to talk about being too familiar. There are many, many things in our lives that we get too familiar with. Anything that's a part of your daily routine, anything that's been part of your everyday life, you know, part of the problem with, with the breakup of the marriage and the breakup of the home is the fact that we get too familiar with each other. We lose respect for each other. We lose, we lose that love and that companionship for each other. Uh, I was, it wasn't very many years ago I was laid up. I had, had a brain disease and, and uh, they took away my right to work in the state of Oregon and, and I was laid up in a bed for several months and they said I'd never work again. They said I'd never be able to think right, talk right, walk right. I was just going to be a vegetable until I died. And uh, my wife decided uh, she'd better go to church, uh, go to school. Pardon me for just a minute. My wife decided she'd better go to school and get a nursing degree so somebody could support our family, Brother Snow. And I laid there in that bed to the point that I couldn't, I couldn't really walk around very much without falling down. If I got up of the day, I normally would pass out and have have seizures and things, and my, my dad was over uh, babysitting me and my children of the day, so my wife could go to, go to classes and things, and it was breaking my heart. 
that, that my wife was in school, that my children were being babysit by my dad, and I just lay up in the bed there. I was a very young man, and, and I, I didn't know what I could do, and I, I got to wondering if there was something I could do for my wife. And, and I thought, you know, I could clean the house. Uh, that's something that I could do for my wife. I could clean the house. She would feel better about the house when she'd come, by, come home. And, and I got up, and I've told this story before, but... Uh, I got up on the day whenever I had the strength to, and, and I would clean the house. And I never, never cleaned much house before. I wasn't very familiar with it. So uh, I'd seen her dust, and I'd seen her vacuum. So I tried to do some of those things. And, and when I dust, I would, I'd, I'd pick up the lamp off the table and dust under it, and set the lamp down, and dust all around on the lamp, and take the shade off, and, and dust inside the shade, and dust the light bulb, and put it back on. And, and when I vacuum, you know, I'd move all the furniture over to this side of the room, and I'd vacuum that side of the room, and I'd move. All all the furniture back this side of the room, and I'd vacuum that side of the room, and I'd put the furniture back, and as you can tell, I was not very familiar with house cleaning, because y'all ladies know that's not how you clean house. Come on, now tell the truth. That's not how you do it. I've seen you do it. Praise God. Praise but I, I'd, and, and I would clean that well on Monday, and then if I felt like it, I'd, I'd do it again on Tuesday. I'd move the furniture on Tuesday. I'd move it on Wednesday. I mean, i just... She seemed happy when I did it, so I wanted to keep her happy, so I kept doing it. But it wasn't too long, uh, uh, Brother Savage, and I got familiar with house cleaning. As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long, I got too familiar with house cleaning. I remember one day I looked at the clock, and she was supposed to be home in about 15 minutes, and I grabbed the dust rag and ran over to the table, and I, I dusted around the lamp. Well, I didn't dust behind it. I dusted on the sides and in front of it. I didn't pick it up. I didn't dust in the shade, and, and I grabbed the vacuum cleaner, and I vacuumed basically the area that we walked the most, you know, just right down the the walking path, and I put it away, and I looked in the room and made sure everything was just right and totally clean. About the time she walked in the house, and I was satisfied that everything was done right, and as she walked through the living room, she picked up a spoon that had some dried spaghetti on it off the table or something, you know, and flipped it over towards the, the kitchen, and she picked up some dirty socks that was laying in the hallway and threw them down towards the laundry room, and I looked at that, and I said, man, I just cleaned that. Where did that stuff come from, man? I just cleaned that. Well, the bottom line is I had got too familiar with house cleaning. We get too familiar with people. We get too, too familiar with our jobs. And we get too familiar with God's people. I'm going to use an example here I've used in the past, and I know it's really tight, but don't fall out with me until I get to the bottom line here. Uh, probably not, hardly anybody out here knows of Brother Jimmy Munoz. Maybe you all have run into him before. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. He's out of Fresno, California. He's one of my best friends. And when I first met him and his brother and his father, I was so awestruck by God's people. I wasn't raised this way. Uh, I've been saved less than ten years. And, and it, I, it just, I was in awe of God's people. It was amazing to me that God had such a glorious church and that they were living right here amongst us. And I first got around some of those people, and I, I mean, you know, just as much respect as I could come up with for them, Brother, Brother Munoz and Elder Munoz and, you know, yes sir and no sir. And I mean, just, I was awestruck by God's people, and I got to, I got to do it like holiness people do. You know, I'd go preach for them, and they'd come preach for us, and we'd stay at their house, and they'd stay at our house, and he'd correct my kids, and I'd correct his kids. And I mean, it just became like all in the family, you know, and, and uh, I, I got to one point, he'd come and preach a, a revival for us up in Wilder, Idaho, and I, I was 
standing over on the side of him as he was preaching there. And, you know, I remember backing him when, when I was a young man, and I'd say, come on, Brother Munoz, come on. And, and then later on, you know, I got a little more familiar with him, and pretty soon I called him Jimmy. Now everybody calls him Jimmy, and I'd say, come on, Brother Jimmy, come on, Brother Jimmy. And, and uh, I caught myself one night standing there as he's preaching. I said, come on, Jim. And that check, that smote my heart. Come on now. That smote my heart. I was, I was preaching this at a fellowship meeting one time. Sister Shirley Lester was there. And I used the example. I'd say, I said, that'd be if like Sister Lester was preaching. And I stood up and I said, preach it, Shirley. That don't sit right. That, don't sit, that should offend somebody. If that really happened, that should offend somebody. You understand? You all know Sister Louise Whitehouse? I was, I was holding a revival up at Bethany one time, and I didn't even know her first name. And I, I said so. I said, Sister, I don't even know your first name. She said, good. She said, if you knew it, you might use it, and I don't want you to. She said, I'm, I'm 60 years older than you. You don't need to use my first name. Oh, come on now. Brother Savage, we're in a holiness church, aren't we? Praise God. Come on, we get too familiar with work. We get too familiar with people. We get too familiar with God's people. I ain't telling you if you use my first name, you done backslid. You ain't a sinner because you know you're close enough to somebody that sometimes you don't always... But listen, hey, what the, the problem wasn't that I used his name. The problem wasn't that I shortened it. The problem was I forgot that that was the Spirit of God moving right there. I had, I had shrunk God all the way down and made him just a man. I forgot about the heavenly man that was coming down from my soul. I, I forsaken the very movement of the Holy Ghost of God. I wasn't listening for the Lord to speak to me. I was listening to my friend talk. And I was too familiar with the people of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You look at Leviticus chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2 through there and it talks about that strange fire. Sometimes that's what we're offering friends is strange fire. Them boys came, I've, I've read books and I've read commentary, and they, they tell you, they try to make excuses for everybody in the Bible, man, I'm telling you. They're like Sean Hannity making excuses for the Republicans. They'll make excuses for anybody in the Bible. I'm telling you what it is. But those two men, those two boys, they come that day and they offer strange fire. One book said, well, they hadn't been doing it very long. They probably didn't know what they was doing. Another book said they didn't have all the right ingredients for the right kind of fire, so they brought the best that they could. Let me tell you, them boys were just... Just like holiness people in 2005, they knew exactly how to do it. They've done it time and time and time again. The problem is they've done it so many times. They got so familiar with the work of God. They got so familiar with singing the song design. They got too familiar with preaching the word of God. They decided once and for all, we got away with it last time. He didn't kill us last time. I, I made it up myself last time. I worked it up myself last time. I figured it out myself last time. I got away with it last time. Hey, friend, are you so, so familiar with the very Spirit of God? Are you so familiar with the very movement of the Holy Ghost? Have you become so familiar with the service of God? You just do it on your own. We're too familiar with God. Hallelujah. Second Samuel chapter 6, right in there, to the 6, 7, 8, and 9, right in there, talked about and when that when they was bringing the ark home, and they put it on the cart, and that one priest, he seen it kind of rocking. Hey, friend, he reached up and he touched it, he thought it could steady it. I don't know, the Bible don't say by the Sabbath, but allow me my imagination just a minute here. I wonder if he hadn't touched it before. I wonder if it hadn't wiggled a little bit further up the road. I wonder if he hadn't got away with it last time. I wonder if he wasn't so familiar.
familiar. Hey, hey, somebody had to put it on the card. Somebody had to have touched it then. Hey, if they got away with it, why can't I? Hey, if they did it, why don't I? Hey, I'm telling you, friend, he might not be striking you dead this morning, but if you're getting too familiar with the very movement of God, if you lost your respect, if you forgot how terrible he is, hey, friend, I'm telling you, don't get too familiar with God. Hallelujah. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, y'all know the story. He come up. He sold his house and his land. Listen, friend. Listen to me right here. This is a big problem in holiness churches. He did not have to give that money. He was not required to give that money. But he made it out to be more than it really was. How many times, preacher friend, how many times say to God, do you do something good for God out of your own heart, out of your own desire you do something that's right but you blow it out of proportion you make it a little bigger than it really was you make it sound a little greater than it really happened you make yourself a little better than you really should hey friend let me tell you something you tell what you want in the world you do what you want outside but you come in the house of God my friend you better remember the fear of almighty God you better remember how terrible and how awesome this God that we serve really is Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Help us right here. Words commonly used in the English dictionaries to define the word familiar are common and routine. Common and routine. I was sitting around the table in Rain City, California with a bunch of preachers that know a whole lot more than me. And they're talking about all the different kinds of doctrines. All the different forms of doctrines, and they had, I don't know how many, tens and twenties and thirties of different kinds of doctrines stacked up there. And they said, how about you, Brother Sloggett? And I said, sirs, I, I only know of two different kinds of doctrine that are alive and well in the whole of church today. But I, I'm just, I just, I'm nobody. Maybe I don't understand enough. And they said, what kinds of doctrine do you know about? I said, well, I know there's biblical doctrine and then I heard, and I know there's historical doctrine. Those are the two I know of. They said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, if somebody comes to y'all's church and you do something in service, and they ask you, they say, why do y'all do that like that? And you say, well, the Bible says, and you quote them a verse, that's, that's a biblical doctrine. But if somebody comes in y'all's service and you do something, they say, why do y'all do it like that? And you say, well, uh, that's because we've always done it that way. That's historical doctrine. Those are the only two kinds holiness people really have. We either do it because the Bible says so, or we do it because it's always been like that. Hey, friend, hey, don't fall out of me right here. Hey, there's some good historical doctrine. I know there is. There's some good traditions of men. I know there are. But, friend, don't override biblical doctrine with them. Don't overdo. Hey, don't take it so far because Grandpa and Grandma did it. Let you forget what the Bible said. Hey, friend, don't get so familiar with the fact that you're the fourth and fifth generation preacher. Let you forget about the very movement of the Holy Ghost of God. He's still reaching. He's still tired. He's still moving, but we can get too familiar. Hey, I love the fact that we're in church 300 some odd nights a year. But friend, my wife and my children and me, we've got to be careful. By the Sabbath, we got to be careful. We can get so familiar with doing it over and over again. We forget the awesomeness of an almighty God. Hallelujah. I was preaching in Boise, Idaho. Out in front of a homeless shelter. I do a lot of street preaching and things like that. That's how I started my ministry. And I was preaching out in front of a, uh, like a John 3.16 mission. 
And there was a man come out there, and a scruffy looking old fella, just, I mean, ragged clothes, had, you know, maybe a month's worth of beard on, and just, just didn't smell so good, just one of them times. And he got to listening to my preaching, and he got to commenting on my preaching, and what he had to say was good. The things he had to say, I wanted to stop and write them down. And finally I stopped preaching, I got to talking to him, Brother Nathan. And, and he said, he began to quote scripture after scripture, he probably quoted a hundred verses to me that day. And he expounded on them, and he, he made them make sense to me. He really knew what the Bible said, and he really knew what the Bible meant. And he said, he said, I'm just like you, preacher. I'm just like you. And I kept sitting there, and I couldn't put my finger on it, Brother Snow, for nothing. But something in my heart checked me and said, you're not like him. You're not like him. And he quoted some more scripture. And he explained and expounded the Bible some more. And he was right, friend. He was right. And he said, I'm just like you, preacher. I'm just like you. And my heart said, you're not like him. You're not like him. And he got done quoting this, quoting some scripture. And I went back to preaching. And he walked over on the side of the building. And he picked up a brown paper sack with whiskey in it. And he took a big old drink. And he set it back down. And he walked back down. And I said, oh, God, help me right here. And I stopped preaching. I picked up a rock. And I scratched on the sidewalk. You know how you can scratch the sidewalk with a rock and make it say something? And I scratched awesome. I wrote the word awesome on the sidewalk. I said, come here, sir. Come here. I figured out, I finally figured it out what's different between you and me. I said, what's that say right there? He said, that says, it says awesome. I said, you've lost your all. You've lost your all. He said, what are you talking about, preacher? I took that rock and I scratched out A-W-E. I said, you lost your all. See, I have an awesome God, but without the all, you just have some God. You quote this Bible because you know of some God. You read the scriptures because you know of some God. You go about your life. You're not afraid of going to hell because you know of some God. You go around the world spreading your little gospel tracts and preaching your little service, but you don't sanctify yourself and set your part of some apart from this world. You have some God. You know some God. The world has some God. But my God is an awesome God. My God is a God to be feared. My God is a God to be praised. Hallelujah. Have you lost your all this morning, church? Have you got so familiar that you lost your all? Hallelujah. I preach to you. Oh, mercy. Already 15 to 20 minutes on beyond too familiar, or, or I'm sorry, on too familiar. But I want to go a little further right now and preach beyond too familiar. Beyond too familiar. There's a German word in the German language. The word is Troppenkohler. T-R-O-P-P-E-K-O-L-L-E-R. Troppenkohler. The literal English definition of Troppenkohler is beyond too familiar. Hallelujah. It's not a very old word. The word's maybe 55, 60 years old. And this word Tropicola was made up by a German general. <coughs> a German general in the German Navy fleet. He was put in charge of writing a book that was to be uh, published by the German Navy. And that all of the German naval officers were going to have to read it and study it and, and pass tests on it. They, he was put in charge of writing this book. He was, the book was about, the book was called Beyond Too Familiar, and the book was about all of the problems that happen in a submarine and how to, well, you know, what to do about them. It was like a, a troubleshooting book. If this goes wrong in a submarine, you do this. If that doesn't work, you do this. It was a troubleshooting book. 
and he got he you know he talked about people getting homesick. He talked about you know little fights with one another. He talked about different differences and it, all these things. But he got down and the gist of the book was just he he had a problem that would arise in a ship and it was an emergency. As soon as that problem arose, it was an emergency. As soon as they they they, they figured out that it was even occurring. And as soon as it arose, he tried to explain what the problem was. There wasn't words enough to explain it. So he made up a word. And the word he made up is Tropencola. And his definition of Tropencola is a sudden flare-up of temperament from one or more of a handful of people living together in tight quarters, as in on board a ship. Now, I know, I want you to turn your minds real spiritual right here and listen to me again. The definition of Tropencola is a sudden flare-up of temperaments from one or more of a handful of people living together in tight quarters, as in on board a ship. Don't we call this the old ship of Zion? Hallelujah. Isn't this the old ship of Zion? Haven't we had too many sudden flare-ups from one or more of a handful of members? You say, hey, what handful? We're a big old crowd here, let me tell you. You look at the souls that are alive and well on the face of earth today, and you take all the truly serving God Christians, and church, we're just a handful. We're just a handful, and we're on board this ship, and we're trying to make sail for that heavenly home. But the problem is, this little sudden flare-up of temperament, it keeps happening over and over again. And it's hurting this church. And so you say, preacher, why are you preaching about chopping? Why are you preaching about a German naval word? I'm telling you why, friend. Because it's alive and well in the holiness movement today. There's sudden flare-ups happening from people's temperaments. And it's rocking our boat. It's shaking our ship. And the cause of it, friend, is we're too familiar with one another. We decided we know so-and-so. We know their faults. We remember when they fell. We remember when they backslid. When they came back, we know their babies and their grandbabies. We've been in meet with them over and over again. I know she won't make her children eat carrots. Hey, hey, I'm telling you, we got so familiar, friend. We forgot about God. We made a church. We made an organization. We got awesome meetings. We got youth camp. We can put it all together. But what about God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sudden flare-up of temperament. Now, it said sudden. Sudden flare-up of temperament. In other words, they didn't have a good enough reason. Come here, Brother Joseph. I think we've done this before. Hallelujah. A sudden flare-up of temperament. Now, if I walked by Brother Joseph, and I stomped on his foot, and he yelled, Ouch! He had a reason to yell, Ouch! Now, if I walked by Brother Joseph, and I never touched him, never even looked at him, and he yelled, Ouch! He had no reason to. He had no reason to. You know, some of us are just looking for a reason. Some of us are just waiting for the pastor to even kind of glance our way so we can say he looked at us wrong. Some of us are just looking for a reason. He never touched you, friend. He's watching over your soul, friend. That preacher's trying to tell you the truth, friend. Hey, I'm telling you, yeah, but he's Sings their children, and he never sings mine. Yeah, but he recognizes he's a great, great uncle, and he won't even recognize my daddy. Hey, friend, forget about how familiar you are with the man of God, and look for the awesomeness of the God that called him behind him. Hey, don't get too familiar with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A sudden flare-up of temperaments from one or more of a handful of people living together in tight quarters. 
at them tight quarters, Brother Mikey Maxson. And I'm telling you, holiness is tight, but it's right. Brother Melvin Duke, you look at the way the world and church lives, and you look at the way the churchy world lives, and the way we're living today is tight. I mean, it's tight, Brother Connor. But sweet Lamb of God, it will stay in awe of the God that's behind it. It will stay in awe of the power behind it. I believe it'll be all right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This man wrote his book. He said, Trop and Core. He said, it's, he said he was trying to describe it. And one of the young men that actually it had happened to him, he said, when I get to that point, it's like the walls are coming in too tight. When I get to that point, it's like the, the ceiling's coming down on me. When I get to that point, it's like my book is getting too short for me. And that's one of the ways the one of the scribe dropping corner him. That's one of the signs they were supposed to look for. And, and the man said, if you, if you find dropping corner on your ship, he wrote the book. He said, there's three cures. Three cures. He, he used as much uh, carnal wisdom as he could. He used as much worldly intellect as he could muster. No doubt he probably talked to some of the great greats uh, of the naval fleets all around the world. And they come together and they decided there's three cures. Number one, get them away from each other for a while. Now, you get 14 boys in a little metal box, and you put them under the water for very long, and, and it, I mean, too many days, and it's, it, it's going to get tired. That's not, that's not normal living. Now, I love my wife and children, but we live in a little metal box, too. And I'm telling you, sometimes it gets a little nervous around there, Brother Ricky Savage. Sometimes there's a little bit of dropping cold and wants to pop up right in the immediate family. A sweet lamb of God. But you get those 14 boys that don't even know each other, and you put them down in that submarine. And yeah, there's a little tiff, and there's a little riff, and there's a little problem. Hey, listen, church, I'm not telling you we're all perfect. I'm not telling you get along happily ever after with everybody in your home church. But I'm telling you, if you're really serving God and not man, it'll make a difference in your trial. If you're really afraid of God and not just afraid of going to hell, it'll make a difference in your trouble. It'll make you want to do right. It'll make you want to love your brother. Hey, I'm telling you, then get them boys down there. Chopping corners start breaking out. And cure number one is get them away from each other for a while. Let me tell you, break cure number one don't work. They proved it, and we proved it. The German naval fleet proved it, and holiness people in America proved it. Get them away from each other for a while, doesn't work. The first time Trop and Kohler broke out after the book was written, the general went to the, one of the captains went to the book. He said, here it is, a cure number one, to get them away from each other for a while. So he sent two or three boys to that ship, and three or four boys to that ship, and he broke it all up. And the, the general called a couple weeks later and said, did that fix it? He said, no. Now we've got Trop and Kohler breaking out on every one of those ships. And let me tell you, not only did the German naval fleet prove it, all this people have proved it, you've had a while. They say the cure must be that I get away from y'all for a while. The cure must be I'll go to the church down the road. The cure must be I'll go to our neighboring church. The cure must be I've just been around you too much. But so if I get away from you, I'll make it all better and I'll come back. Hey, friend, if that's the truth, where are they today? Where are they right now? They've been gone for a long time. I ain't seen them come back. I ain't looking for them to come back. That's not the cure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
decided to get them away from each other for a while. It's not a cure. So the general rewrote the book. Oh, somebody pray. They rewrote the book. Then the general said, Chopping corner, a sudden flare-up of temperaments from one or more of a handful of people living together in tight quarters as in on board a ship has two cures. Two cures. Cure number two in the second book became cure number one in the... Uh, cure number two in the first book became cure number one in the second book. And that cure was get them more space, more breathing room. Now this all sounds logical. If you've got 14 guys in a little metal can under, and underwater all that time... And they get too familiar with each other. It sounds logical to get them away from each other. But it doesn't work. Logic doesn't always work with faith. You know that? You know that? God doesn't want stupid people. That's not what I said. Listen, I get in plenty of trouble for what I say. Don't tell anybody what I didn't say. Hey. Hey, right here. Hey, listen to me. God don't want stupid people, but logic doesn't always work with faith. You hear me? You hear me? It sounds logical that if you get people so familiar with one another, then maybe if you just give them a little more room, it'll get along a little better. Let me tell you, friend, that don't work. Not only did the German naval fleet prove it didn't work, but holiness people in 2005 right now are proving that it doesn't work. Hey, hey, there was 14 boys in a ship under the water one day under the command of a German captain, and he saw chopping corner breaking out. They said the walls are coming in. They say the sea coming down. They said, my bed's getting too short. And the, and the, the captain ran on the book and said, kill number one, get them more space, more breathing room. So he brought the boat to the top and he put two or three boys off on a different ship. And that boat that always had 14 men on it, now it only had like 10 or 11 men on it. He thought that would give them more space. That would give them more room. You know, they would have more work to do and that would keep the mind more occupied. And the general called up and a couple weeks later, he said, How's it going? He said, Dino, we're, we're already at dock. We'll be at your office in just a minute. The captain walked in to the general's office with a young man shackled with his feet uh, chained together and his hands chained together. The general said, what happened? And, and the captain said, you have to ask him. And the general sat the board down and said, son, what happened? He said, I can't say. He said, no. You have to say, I need to know what happened here. He said, Joe, I can't tell you. He said, son, you have no choice. Tell me right now what happened. The boy back broke down in, in bitter tears. He said, I killed my best friend. He said, I pulled my gun out, and I put it to his head, and I pulled the trigger, and I blew his brains out. The general said, why? Why did you do that? He said, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. The general said, son, we're going to court-martial you for this. You're going to hang. You're going to die for what you did. You have to tell me, why did you do that? He said, general, I'm so ashamed. I can't tell you. He said, son, please tell me. And the young man said, he tied his shoe funny. Now, you might think I'm telling you a story. But this story is recorded in history. He said he blew his best friend's brain out because he tied his shoe funny. He said, son, I don't understand. The boy began to break down and cry like a baby. He said, I remember when we was in training camp together. And I tripped and I fell down in the mud when we was on a, on a day's run. And he come back for me. And he picked me up and he helped me go to the father. 
Yeah, I mean, we were close. He said, I remember one time he was climbing, climbing over that wall. And, and I had already made it almost over the wall. And I noticed that he couldn't quite make it. And I, and I kind of scooted back and I let him get a hold of my leg. And I pulled him over the wall. He said, I remember one time when we was in town. And, and we was, uh, took some girls out on dates. And I didn't have enough money. He, bought, he loaned me the money. He said, man, we were close. He said, that was my best friend. We saved each other's lives in battle. It seemed like there was this. Would have took, he would have took a bullet for me. He said, I know there was days I'd have took a bullet for him. He said, but I killed him, General. I blew his brains out because he tied his shoe funny. Now you're sitting there looking at me and you're thinking, that's the stupidest reason I ever heard in my life for anybody killing anybody. I wish it was me too. I wish it was me too. But friend, I know, I know, I know things much more stupid than that for killing somebody. Brother Martin, I've heard about him, I've seen him, I've witnessed him. And some of y'all probably don't want me to reveal him right now, but I'm thinking to. Some of the stupidest reasons I've ever heard anybody for killing anybody is reasons like, I wanted the carpet to be blue, not green. Come on. And when we built the new church, I really thought it should have faced the south, not the west. When we put the, the fellowship meeting together, I thought it should have been on the third week of June, not the second week of June. Hey, come on. I'm telling you some of the stupidest reasons anybody ever killed their brother or their sister over. I'm telling you, I should have been in charge of the kitchen, not sister so-and-so. I'm telling you, she should have been the Sunday school teacher, not brother so-and-so. You say, I never killed anybody. Or didn't you pray? Then you stab them in the back. Then you bite them in the back. Aren't you killing your children around the dinner table? Aren't you eating a pizza up every Sunday afternoon? Hey, friend, some of the dumbest reasons anybody ever killed anybody is causing your brothers and sisters to the backslide over smaller things and tying a shoe funny. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to get tied right here. Praise God. It's going to get tied. Give me more space. Give me more breathing room. I feel like those ceilings coming down, preacher. I feel like the walls are closing in, preacher. I feel like my bed's getting shorter. Preacher, if you just give me a little more room. Have you just give me Hey, Pastor Snow, if you just give me a little more room. Have you just lighten up on your preaching just a little bit? Brother Savage, have you quit going around the country and trying to call them back to old-time homeless? You're getting a little too tired for me, if you just give me just a little more available room, if you give me just a little more room, it'll be all right. It'll be all right, no old friend, because the devil in you, oh, but keep chasing it. You take a mile, you know, we like to blame it on everything else. You're, you're temporizing, you say, oh, it's the Irish in me, oh, it's the slug in me, it's the savage in me. Your temper gets out of hand, you blame it on everything. Listen, friend, it's the devil in you. That's what it is. I said it's the devil. In you. Hey, God doesn't want you backbiting. God doesn't want you backstabbing. God doesn't care what the color of your company is. God doesn't care if you got double doors or single. He wants you to fear Him and worship Him and serve Him for the awesomeness of years. We blame it on everybody and everything else. I want you to think about them boys when that ceiling was coming down, when 
those walls are coming in. Listen, friend, that solid steel, it wasn't giving that. That ceiling wasn't coming down. Those walls, I know that's what it looked like, but that's not really what's happening. Same thing with you, friend. When you think it's a preacher's fault, it's not. When you think it's mama's fault, it's not. When you think it's daddy's fault, it ain't. That solid steel, man, it ain't budget. God ain't moving for you. You hear me? God ain't moving for you. You might think it's going that way, friend, but the problem wasn't in the steel. The problem was in the mind and the heart of the boys that was doing the work. It's the same thing in God's house. It's the same thing in the church of God today. Hey, the problem is with God. God ain't moving. The problem with us. Hallelujah. 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 They decided cure number two wanted to cure. Let me tell you. Before we get to cure number three, what they called a cure was really a curse. You hear me? What they called a cure was really a curse. When they said it was a cure to get away from each other for a while, that was really a curse. That's really a curse. Because those that cursed the holiness movement until they decided that the cure was to get away from us for a while, now they're cursing some other movement. That didn't fix no problem. I feel sorry for the Nazarene church that took the backslidden holiness people in. I feel sorry for the Presbyterian church that took the backslidden holiness people in. Hey, friend, if they were a problem here, there'll be a problem there. I don't care if you let them cut their hair. I don't care if you let them come to church with no clothes on. It's in the heart, friend. If they were a problem here, There'll be a problem there. Listen, if you're back and holding this friend, you might think the church down the road is going to be all right for you. But if you've got a problem here, you'll be a problem there. That's not a cure, it's a curse. Hey, those that said we just need a little more room. Those that said just give me a little space, preacher. Those that said line it up, that's not a cure. That's a curse. Because those that have lined up, those that have given just a little, have gone way the other way, friend. They didn't cure anything. They cursed their congregation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, mercy. God, hurry. God, hurry. God, help us. God, help us. The general finally retired. This general finally retired. And uh, they rewrote the book. They wrote the book for the third time without him. And the book that they wrote the third time is still in print today in German. I don't know if it's ever been printed in English. There were some pages of it that were interpreted in English that I got to see on a computer one day. But I don't know if the, the book's ever been put out in English. But it, it, to this day, the German naval fleet, all the officers still have to read this book. As far as I know, as far as about two years ago anyway. And it says, Chopping Cover. Sudden flare-up of temperaments from one or more of a handful of people living together in tight quarters since they're on board a ship has one known, proven cure. Known, proven cure. Y'all ready for this? If you don't shout, I might. Praise God, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Hallelujah. The known, proven cure for trap and coder is give them a cause. <laughs> Stay with me right here. Give them a cause. <laughs> You want to know how they found it out? It was a total accident how they proved this one. It doesn't just say uh, one cure, it says one known proven cure. 
the way they proved it, Brother Joseph Snow, was there was a day that 14 young men were in a little milk can down under the ocean. And, and things had gotten ugly and things had gotten out of control. And finally, they saw that Trop and Cola was breaking out. They'd all become so familiar with each other, they didn't even care anymore. And that guy went to the book and it said that to get, to get them away from each other for a while wouldn't work. It said to get them more space and more breathing room wouldn't work. He didn't know what he was going to do. A better snow, but about the time he was about to panic, about the time he was going to have to make up some kind of order, there came a call on the loudspeaker. It said this is not an emergency. This is an emergency. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. This is an emergency. It said that there was another uh, fleet from the from USSR that had moved into the territory, and they were not supposed to be there, and they'd been warned to stay back, and they'd come on anyway, and then it looked like their guns were locked and loaded, and this is not a drill. This is an emergency. It said every man who was battle stationed, and those 14 boys forgot about going each other's brains out. They forgot all about the trouble they had with the way each other tied their shoes, and all of a sudden, everybody, a man, they're gone. Hey, I'm telling you today, God wants you to know, church, this is not a drill. This is not a drill. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. Every man who is battle station, every preacher, preach the gospel. Every prayer warrior hit your knees. Every saint of God call on the Lord. Everybody that can testify, testify. Everybody that can witness, witness. If you can pass out tracks, pass out tracks. If you can invite somebody to church, do it right now. This is not a drill. Thank you. 
two pieces hey those people they're gonna forget all about what the part of me is and they're gonna worry about the cause they're gonna worry about raising that baby they're gonna worry about a new soul entering into the kingdom of heaven hey church the only no truly cure is to get a cause Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. I need to get down right here. I need to get out of the way. But I know I'm going to do it like this. I do something different. But I don't know this church and I don't know nobody around here. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what this told you. That's the last place I was. A very long ago. I ain't saying they had trap and corner. I ain't saying that I don't know what their problems were. I don't care. I really don't care. Ask, ask the church. I don't care, do I? Don't, don't care. They'll prove it. Praise God. But what they did, what they did was they heard that call from my mighty commander in chief that said, this is not a dream. This is an emergency. And not, they got a cause. Let me, let me give you some of their causes. These are some sinners that prayed in the revival last month. Lane, Robin, Macy, Roy, Angela, Kendra, Gayla, Megan, Casey, Hannah, Jeremy, Larry, Opal, Jerry, Jackie, Ronnie, Christy, Liz, Corey, Shannon, Melissa, Robbie, Aaron, Lori, Alex, Everett, Brianna, Tessa, Matt, James, Matthew, Naaman, Lisa, Derek, Melissa, Lonnie, Nathan, Aaron, Brad, Keith, Brenda, Bridget, Stephanie, David, Jeremy, Nancy, Sean, Dustin, Donnie, and Matthew. Sinners. Praying in the wrong church. Somebody got a cause. Somebody got a cause. Listen, friend, without a cause, you got to do something. You ain't going to just sit around and stew on nothing. You're going to do something. Without a cause, you'll make one up. Without a cause, you'll have a sudden flare-up whether somebody stepped on your toe or not. Without a cause, you'll bring, you'll believe that worldly logic that says, well, if I just go down there for a while, it'll be better and I can come back. No, I won't. No, I won't. Hello, Pastor. I'm not trying to take your meeting right here. Can I just do like a field just for just a minute here? I, ho- I hope there's more preachers. I hope there's uh, however it works. But I just, I, I really feel like this. I want y'all to stand right now with me. Church, we've been too familiar with one another for too long. <laughs> Brother Nathan, we've been too familiar with God for too long. I know you look godly. I know you want to sound godly. I know it's a general rule. Everything in your house is fairly godly. I understand all that. But right now, are you serving some God? Have you lost your all? Have you lost your all? It's still some God that you're serving. It's still some God that you're believing. It's still some God that you're testifying about. But isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? Hallelujah. I told her back at the home church one time they like to ran me out. I know, I know that when Jesus died, the temple veil ran in twain from top to bottom. I understand that. But I wish, I told him, I said, I wish we still had a great big curtain right across here. 
right across here, and I wish every preacher preached into the same microphone. And I wish it, wish it distorted the voice so every preacher sounded the same. That way, whoever was back here, you didn't know. Whoever was preaching, you didn't know. That way, if it was the guy that offended you last week, you just have to assume it wasn't. Because it might not be. That way, if there's a guy that you ever thought preached on pre-trib and you thought it was mid, you wouldn't know the difference. You just have to assume it was God talking to you. Hey, friend, I'm not down on the preachers. I'm high on the preachers. But I don't care, friend, if it's Brother Connor, Brother Maxson, Brother Snow. It doesn't matter. What matters is it's coming from heaven. What matters is it really for your soul. Who are you going to pick and choose? Who are you going to decide who it's for? Friend, what if it's for you? What if the awesomeness of Almighty God's calling? you, what if he's telling you you've lost your all, what if he's telling you you need to come back, what if he's telling you forget about how they tie their shoes, forget about who makes the best casserole, forget about it, come on church, we got a cause, we got to get a hold of, we got lost sinner friends and family and loved ones and co-workers, that's our cause, our cause isn't making sure that the benches are polished, our cause isn't making sure the house is clean, our cause isn't making Get to it. We get to everybody's schedule. Our cause is that a lost and dying world going to a devil's hell. And you and I have been pulled out to do something about it. Hallelujah. I really feel. But the snow, correct me. Correct me. I really feel like you're what you call right here. Sweet Lamb of God. Sweet Lamb of God. There's been some, no doubt, around this house. You might think I'm claiming to be a prophet or claiming to be real spiritual. I'm not. I've just been around holiness long enough, I know. But there's some around this house sure you've had all one with another. Well, come on, you said, preacher, you just showing up and saying that. I'm telling you what I feel in my heart right now. There's been some around here. Oh, you'll fall out with me because I don't wear the white shirt. You'll fall out with me because that's part of my hair on the left and not the right. Hey, come on, you say it's not that silly. I'm telling you it is that silly. I'm telling you it is that silly. You think it's dumb to kill somebody for tying their shoe funny. I want you to think back in your mind what you did to somebody over something just as silly. Come on, think about it. Oh, I can see them thinking it off right now. Maybe I already went too far. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on now. Come on, thank to God. We can come into this house this morning and we can make some things right. And we can shout here in a little while if we need to. We can shout tonight if we want to. Maybe Brother Ricky give us one of them real high-flying messages like one of them holiness evangelists knows how. Praise God, but I'm telling you, God right now in this house right here is saying some people have lost their all. I'm telling you so much. I was at Brother Melvin Duke's church for was about 35 nights. And, and there, some people fall out over this. Some people don't believe it this way. I'm sorry. But for 35 nights, that was my pastor. You hear me? For 35 nights, that was my pastor. There was times, that, believe it or not, he sat me down and, and told me some things. Praise God. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. Now, wait a minute. I'm an evangelist. Now, wait a minute, I'm from Idaho. Now, now, yeah, now, listen here, I just stopped by. Hey, where you at tonight? Where you at right now? Where you at in your heart right now? Hey, hey, it's not the man, friend. 
It's not the name. It's not the heritage, friend. It's the calling of an almighty God. It's the position that must be respected. It's the place of authority that must. Do you mean that Brother Melvin Duke must be the most spiritual and the smartest man in all of Bristol? No, that's not what that means. And he might be. But what that means is God can only have one person in charge of the time, and right now he picked him. Hallelujah. Where you at, church? Come on, where you at, church? Hallelujah. I'm giving all of you call right now unless Brother Philip stops me. And if he does, I'll sit down. I'll sit down. I preached you this morning from the bottom of my heart. We've heard about the glory of God, but the Sabbath is like I never heard it preached. But you know what part of our problem is? Not that we're not going into it, but we can't get into it. Because our heart's all right. Sometimes we're trying to go somewhere God ain't letting us go. But you can go. I'd almost like to, to get all these people to pray today. And then you preach that again tonight and then see how we get. Hallelujah. Pray that we'll find out, we'll find out if I was right or wrong that fast. Hallelujah. Come on, some of you right now. Right now. You're thinking about who it was and when it was and what you did and you're still blaming it on them. Hallelujah. Every head bowed right now. Every son of God praying as hard as they know how. There's some problems that got to get fixed. We can still have this meeting. We can carry on. We can fellowship. We can eat tacos and pizza. We can listen to awesome preaching every night. We can go to our trailers and our campers and our sleeping bags and we can say we had meat, but then, when you like to get something right, when you like to get that evil out of your heart, when you like to be able to look him in the eye again and say, I love you. I'm for you. You are my friend. You remember the man that said that my best friend helped me over the wall and I picked him up in the butt butter. Look around. Have you bucked him? Aren't they just trying to be your friend? Aren't they just trying to help you? Don't you understand they love you? Don't you understand they're for you? The whole time that they picked you up out of the mud, the whole time they helped you over the wall, the whole time that you borrowed money from them, but now you got a problem. Now you got on with them. Now you're falling out. What about them? Friend? It's the same one. It's the same heart and mind and body and soul. It's still pulling for you. It's still on your side. Maybe it's mommy. Maybe it's daddy you're falling out with. Maybe it's a preacher. Maybe it's a brother or sister on the other side of the road. But friend, I'm telling you right now, you can get it right in your heart. You don't have to be that one that causes trouble and cooler. You don't have to worry about elbow room. You don't need any more room than the gospel allows. You won't have to worry about going down the road. You'll be satisfied right where God puts you. Hallelujah. Still with every soul of God praying. I'm going to open up these altars right now. Whatever happens after that is fine as me. I don't care. I'm just trying to obey God. I'm going to open up these altars right now. I want you, friend, if you've walked that edge, if you've touched that tight line, if you've come anywhere near being too familiar with your pastor, with your preacher, with your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, with good old-fashioned holiness, if you thought it was too tight, if you thought that you should go down the road, if you thought we painted the outside of the building the wrong color, whatever it is, friend, 
I'm giving you this opportunity. I know my, my altar calls you tired sometimes. I make you really fess up here. But you'll feel better for it. I'm telling you, you'll feel so much better for it. Hallelujah. If you can only bring yourself down here, bring yourself down here and make it right with God. If you can, if that person's here that you have problem with, you can go and take them by the hand and apologize and bring them down here and pray at these altars with them and you can make it right with God. Think of the joy. Think of the joy. I know it's hard right now. I know it's hard right now. I'm not saying it's easy. But think of how nice it's going to be comes about 7.30 tonight. Think of the joy. Think of the lightness of your feet. Think of the glory in your soul. To you know that you fixed that thing that's been eating on you all this time. Come on now. It's open. It's open right here, right now. Come on. I feel like there's something that would pray. I feel like there's something right here right now. God's dealing with your heart, your mind, your soul. He's saying, remember when. Remember when. You say, preacher, they're not even here. That's all right. You can start right here right now. They're not, they're not, they don't even know. You don't know anything about it. That's okay. I don't care. I don't care anything about it. I care that your heart is right. Before you leave this service this morning, I care that your heart is right. Come on right now. Come on right now. Come on right here. If this was a revival and this was a night service, I'd drag this out a lot longer, but I'm not going to give you a lot of time because there's other things that can happen right here besides me standing up here and talking. But I know that there's hearts being dealt with right now. I know that there's hearts being dealt with right now. Oh, God. I know that. Come on, church. Come on, be honest with yourself this morning, church. Come on, you can lie to the preacher. You can lie to mommy and daddy. You can lie to the world. But don't lie to yourself this morning. Don't lie to your heart this morning. There's others. I know there's others. Make this right. Make this right. Don't let it go another day. Don't let it go another service. Don't let it go another hour. It'll eat you up, friend. It'll kill you and you'll kill somebody else in the process. Step out. 